All right, it's a big day today. It's, uh, it's our national secular holiday, <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. We, we eat too much, we gather around the TV, we watch a couple of teams that nobody likes. Uh, it's, it's a big moneymaker for, for the network that carries the game. I'm not even sure who has it this year. Uh, and then on Monday, we talk about how the commercials aren't as good as they used to be, which would be, which would be true. So in, in our house, as you can imagine, we watch a fair amount of sports. But I think on the whole, the most popular channel in our family is probably HGTV, like Home, home and Garden. All right, so, all right, you're with me on that. Uh, my favorites are, are the renovation and flip shows. Like, there's so many of them, I don't even know their names, so I had to look them up. So you have Fixer Upper in, down in Waco. Uh, you have something called Desert Flippers. It's, it's a couple from Wisconsin originally who are now in Palm Springs or something like that. There are others, Rehab Addict. You know, I, I, don't, I, I know I'm not revealing any secrets here this morning, but all of these shows are the same. <laughs> they're, they're all the same. There, there are only two differences among all of them. Number one is the location. That, that's one. And then the second difference is that some of the hosts are less annoying than others. So on, like there's a scale and that's, that's it. That's, those are the only differences. The story arc is the same every time. It's, it's the same story arc. I could write an episode. Let's write an episode right now. Okay. So after a little bit of shopping around and dreaming about, you know, different potential houses and what the renovation possibilities could be, the hosts or the stars buy a house, buy the dumpiest house in a nice neighborhood at a reasonable price. Then they come in with the demo crew, like that's the best day, demo day, because you come in with the hard hats and the sledgehammers and you see shots of debris flying out of a second story window into the dumpster in the driveway. Okay, that's, that's an obligatory shot. And then they knock down some walls and maybe put up some others, but usually not. Uh, they, they use phrases like, open concept, and wow factor, and curb appeal. They, they have to get each one of those in at least one episode. Then they discover some hidden flaw that they missed the first time that's gonna blow their budget, it's gonna cost it. Man, uh, we need to replace this floor, so that means you have less on your master bath. Okay, so that always happens. And then, uh, then they bring in their quirky subcontractors, and they talk about subway tile and backsplashes. Those are automatic as well. And then there's a rush at the end to, to meet their deadlines, and then they have an open house, and then they sell the house and make a nice profit. And that's, that's an episode. We just did one right there. <laughs> so it's the same show. We should start a production company. Like, Uper Rehab, let's do it. Uh, it's the same show over and over and over and over again. And we keep watching because we love transformation stories. We love seeing a rundown house become the best house on the block. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm thinking, I could do that. <laughs> like, and don't lie to me, you're thinking the same thing. It's like, I could do that. Except for a couple of minor difficulties. One being, I don't have the capital to just buy a house to flip. And number two is, I don't have any of the skills required. Like, <laughs> like none. Like we, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a, 
I want to call it a dripping bathtub faucet. But it, wasn't, it got to the point where it wasn't dripping anymore, it was just running. And Nikki said, hey, we've got to fix this, and you know, thanks to YouTube and you know, Lowe's, we got it, got it done. But, you know, so my skill level is about that. And then there's the fact that nobody wants to see me on their TV. So you know, this is just not going to happen. But there's something very appealing about transformation. Transformation is a big part of literature. Uh, we put characters in diff, you know, difficult circumstances and see how they change, see how they react. And of course, transformation is part of the natural world as well. The cliche example is the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. Okay, that's, you know, it's cliche because it's the best example. Um, you know, another example I love personally begins with an egg. You look at a simple egg and you know, looking from the outside, of course we know what's in there, but you know, because of experience. But we look at the egg, there's no way that we could figure out what comes next. And all of a sudden there's a chicken. And, but then there's, we're not done yet, there's one more step. And I love transformation. And now that everybody's hungry, we better hustle and get, get rolling here. So let, let's bring this a little closer to home. We're starting a new sermon series this month called Shift. And the theme of this first message is transformation. Um, so I want to ask some questions. Are there any areas of your life that need to be transformed? What about habits, attitudes, family relationships, financial situation, career trajectory, your, your identity, how you view yourself, physical health, friendships, life controlling issues, spiritual health, sense of purpose. If we're honest with ourselves, and I would recommend that, we can all come up with a list of, of areas or issues in our lives where we need God to intervene and transform us. Now, whether we're inside the family of God or not, we are a nation, a society, searching for answers. Uh, one, of the, one of the great barometers of, of where a society is, uh, where American society is, is to check out the, the bestseller lists. What books are, are being sold? What are being uh, printed? So we look at sales figures in the publishing industry. One of the best-selling segments in publishing, the fastest-growing segment in the industry, is self-help. So if you want to write a bestseller, that's a good place to start. So we know we're falling short of our God-given potential and purpose, but we're too often trying to bridge that gap without God's help. God has given us a purpose, and we're trying to achieve it without his help. The Bible, of course, says there's a better way. In fact, transformation is at the heart of the gospel. If we're in need of radical change, Jesus says, come to me. He is all about transformation stories. So let's turn to the book of Luke. Along with Matthew, Mark, and John, this is one of the four gospels, one of the four mini biographies of the story of Jesus. Each of the gospel writers had a specific audience and purpose in mind while writing. And Luke's goal is to provide a full and accurate account of the life of Jesus specifically for Gentiles, specifically for non-Jews. And that would, that would be almost all of us, I would imagine. And the story I want to look at this morning is found in Luke chapter 19, 
Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Kevin actually, uh, actually looked at this passage a little bit in one of, one of the points uh, of his message. So the details will be familiar to us. But you'll notice the, the, more, you, the more you read scripture, the more uh, you see that um, there, there are different spiritual truths, different kingdom principles that, that come out you know, as we're reading in a different, different circumstances. So you know, they reveal different aspects of the character and nature of God. So it's beneficial to look at, uh, look at stories from different perspectives. So as I start reading the story, you're gonna think, oh, this is just a rerun. And it's not just a rerun. So let's read Luke chapter 19, verses one through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the, through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I remember a catchy little tune from Sunday school days. I will not sing it for you this morning. <laughs> but it went like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You can, if you want to sing, you can sing. <laughs> so Zacchaeus was short. Like that's the, the one thing we know about him. I think from Pastor Kevin's message a few weeks ago, he guessed that, that Zacchaeus was about 5'2" because Pastor Kevin's taller than that. So, <laughs> a little bit. So Zacchaeus is about 5'2". The crowds following Jesus are immense. You know, Jesus is probably in the middle of the crowd as people you know, try to get around him and touch him and uh, just be near him. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and found a better vantage point. He found this, this tree, a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree. And the, the Sunday school song ends Zacchaeus is happy because Jesus went to his house that day. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in that region. The chief tax collector, a little different from the regular tax collector. <clears throat> Some historical context here is helpful. The Roman Empire occupied this area at the time of Jesus, and rather than collecting taxes directly from the people, the Romans essentially found contractors to do the work they would typically auction off a specific territory for a set length of time. And the high bidder would pay the fee up front. Whatever the high bid was, that person would pay it up front and then have a certain length of time to go out and collect the taxes. And this system guaranteed that only wealthy people, only wealthy men would be able to occupy this position. So the tax contractor under the authority and protection of the Roman Empire 
would then have a period of time to collect from the people in order to recoup his investment and then also make a little profit on top of that. And as chief tax collector, it appears that Zacchaeus was doing well enough that he had subcontractors under him. So he would do the same thing. That's a typical thing in the, in the Roman Empire at the time. These chief tax collectors would then auction off parts of their territory so that they would guarantee income for themselves as well. And as you can imagine, this practice made tax collectors less than popular in their communities among the people who regarded them as notorious sinners. Remember, Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was collecting taxes from his own people, probably collecting more than they should have been charged, and passing it along to the enemy. He was viewed as a traitor. And yet, as Jesus made his way through Jericho that day, he saw we Zacchaeus, despised Zacchaeus, up in that tree and called him by name. Jesus saw through the man's outward appearance. He saw through his job description. He saw through his public reputation and glimpsed something in Zacchaeus' heart. And Jesus' impulse was confirmed when Zacchaeus responded to the invitation by repenting of his prior life. Luke, at the end of this passage, quotes Jesus as saying, salvation has come to this house today, which is the ultimate transformation. It's the transformation from death to life. He had been separated from God, and now he was a part of the family. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul writes, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And this is the message of the gospel, that God himself has come to rescue and renew, to transform all creation through the work of Jesus Christ. Whenever possible, I like to, to narrow in on a topic or theme like this and dig around in scripture and come up with one big truth or one kingdom principle that we can carry with us in the days to come. I have a friend who calls it a, a memorable, portable statement. Something we just kind of lug it through our week and think about it occasionally. And as we look at our passages this morning, in light of our theme of transformation, in light of this story of Jesus meeting Zacchaeus, here's the truth I want to focus on today. We can carry it around. We can own it. We can think about it throughout the week. Jesus does not want to make me a better version of myself. He wants to make me a new creation. Jesus does not want to make me a better version of myself. He wants to make me a new creation. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes that when we're baptized with Christ, we're putting to death our old sinful nature. We're killing our old selves so that we can come up out of the water into this new life that he promises. Jesus does not want to make me a better version of myself. He wants to make me a new creation. He's taking this a step beyond fixer-upper, right? Chip and Joanna can dump $200,000 into a reno project, but it's the same house. It's a better version of the same house, but it's the same house. Uh, Nikki and I lived in the Chicago area for four years after college, and the county that we lived in was one of the wealthiest counties east of the Mississippi. And I knew this because everybody had a lawn service. 
Like, like nobody mowed their own lawn. Like, so I, I thought, oh, there's, there's some money here. And it was not unusual for us to, you know, to drive around town or go from you know, one town to another and see a house go on the market, a perfectly good house. We see the sign out front for sale. The next time we drive by, there's a sold sign in front of it. The next time we drive by, there are bulldozers on the lot taking the house down. People would buy houses simply for the land they stood on. So, oh, this is a good neighborhood and a good zip code. Don't like the house. I've got enough. I can, I can tear it down and put up a new one. They would tear down the old house so they could build an entirely new one in its place. We might have the illusion that when Jesus comes in, he wants to just slap up some new paint on the walls, get some new appliances in, you know, stainless steel, maybe rip up the linoleum, please put down some hardwood. But what he really wants to do is tear down the house and build a new one. Jesus does not want to make me a better version of myself. He wants to make me a new creation. So how does this happen? How does Jesus transform us? How do we put ourselves in position to allow him to work in our lives? To find some answers, I want to go back to the story of Zacchaeus, but this time I want to read it through the lens of something that the Apostle Paul wrote. And our lens that we'll look at Zacchaeus' story through is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So Paul's letter is written to followers of Jesus living in and around Rome roughly 25 years after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So the mid-50s A.D., Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't follow the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. So back in Luke 19, Jesus, Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus was transformational. It changed his life. And I want to use these verses here in Romans to flesh out three ways in which Jesus transformed Zacchaeus, which are also the ways that Jesus wants to transform our lives. And the first transformation is this. The first transformation is from unbelief to belief. Paul writes, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Another translation of the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our thoughts, our, our beliefs lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character. And character leads to destiny. But it all starts with our thoughts and our beliefs. At some point in his life, Zacchaeus stopped believing, or maybe he never believed, that God is a good father, that God is our provider. His wrong thinking convinced him that his worth as a human being was based on how much money he had. So that thought, that wrong thought, my, my worth as a human is based on my net worth. 
led him to the action of collecting taxes for the enemy occupiers. And that action led to the habit of overcharging his own people. That habit led to the lifestyle of cheating, a reputation as a criminal, which became his character. And that character led to the destiny of being a despised outsider in his own community. It started with an erroneous belief. But Zacchaeus's thoughts, his beliefs began to change when he first heard about Jesus. When Jesus came to Jericho that day, Zacchaeus had already heard about him and was intrigued and wanted to see him. Jesus, Jesus was famous. So people knew about him and God was already in the process of transforming Zacchaeus's thoughts. He was already in the process of renewing his mind. One thing to remember here is that God is the one who initiates the process of moving from unbelief to belief. He's the one who starts it. In another letter to another group of Jesus followers, the Ephesians, Paul writes that we're saved by God's grace through faith. But even that faith that we have to believe is a gift from God. Like we can't even take credit for having faith because it is something that God has given us. So are there areas in, in our lives where we need a transformation from unbelief to belief? Do we really believe that God is good? Do we really believe that God is working for our ultimate good? Do we believe that God knows what's best for us, even when we're in the middle of difficult circumstances? Do we believe he's in control? Do we believe he can provide whatever we need? Do we believe he really loves us as we are? If you're struggling with unbelief in any area, make it your prayer that God will transform you by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. And the best way to put ourselves in position for this to happen is by spending time with him. Flood your mind with the thoughts of God. Invest the time to memorize and meditate on his word. Set aside time every day to be in his presence. Be still and listen for his voice and know that he is God and we are not. This is a key of moving from unbelief to belief. You are God and I am not. The second transformation is from selfishness to sacrifice. In Romans 12:1, Paul pleads with the believers to give their bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. He's telling them, because of all that God has done to save you, you owe him your very lives. And through the generations, he's saying the same thing to us. Because of all that God has done to save us, we owe him our lives. In Old Testament times, the people would bring a sacrifice to the priests to pay for their sins, to pay for the ways that they had violated God's laws. It was, a, it was a one-time payment in the form of a sacrificial animal until the next one was due. So we're just kind of staying current with the, the sins and sacrifices. But now God is demanding that his people adopt a lifestyle of sacrifice. And upon his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus experienced this transformation from selfishness to sacrifice. Jesus invited Zacchaeus Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. And we, we have no idea what they talk about. We have, we have no idea. But in that moment, 
in front of everyone, Zacchaeus declared his allegiance to a new kingdom. He declared his allegiance to a kingdom marked by sacrifice. He declared his allegiance to a kingdom in which the king himself would soon be the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sinfulness once and for all. Sin at its most basic level is rebellion against God and rebellion at its most basic level is saying, I know better than you, my way is better than your way. And what is that if not selfishness? Zacchaeus wanted the money for himself, he wanted the power for himself, but he met Jesus and Jesus began to renew his mind and he moved from selfishness to sacrifice. Look at what Zacchaeus says here. He says, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, which he probably did, I will repay back four times as much. And the law at the time would have only required that he pay full repayment plus a 20% penalty. So he's going way beyond the law of the time and moving into sacrifice. We don't like to think of ourselves as selfish, but this is the human experience. We're all self-centered to some degree, and it takes a transformation to move from selfishness to sacrifice. And again, Jesus is our example. He set aside any personal agenda he may have had and willingly and obediently went to the cross that we deserve. So if you're struggling with the idea of giving up control and comfort, if you're struggling with the idea of the call to live a life of sacrifice, then make that a point of prayer. Let's ask God to transform us by renewing our minds so we can adopt the mind of Christ. So we had a transformation from unbelief to belief, selfishness to sacrifice. The, f- the third transformation is from guessing to knowing, from wondering to knowing. Romans 12:2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Which is good and pleasing and perfect. You will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. That's a promise you can carry around this this week as well. As we allow him to transform, transform us by changing our thinking, by renewing our minds, then we will learn to know God's will. No more guessing. We experience a transformation from guessing God's will to knowing it. We already have the ability to know many aspects of God's will because he's revealed them to us in his written word. He desires our worship. He desires a real relationship with us. He desires that none would perish. He desires peace and justice. He desires us to become more and more like Jesus. These are things we already know because he's revealed them to us. So if you don't know our Father's will for you in a specific area, you can ask him. Make it a point of prayer. This week, if we notice unbelief in our lives, may we turn to God and ask him to transform it into belief. If we notice any selfishness in our lives, may we ask God to transform it into an attitude of sacrifice. If we notice any moments of wondering where God is leading us, 
May we ask him to transform it into confidence of knowing his will. Transformation is a process. The moment we begin to follow Jesus and make him the king of our lives, in that instant, immediately, we become a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But it usually takes longer to transform our beliefs, our habits, our priorities, our attitudes, our concept of God and ourselves. It's a process and it's a spiritual process. Willpower is not enough. Listening to one sermon is not enough. Reading one book is not enough. This is deep spiritual work. So as we wrap up this morning, this is what I want us to do. The worship team is going to lead us in one more song. And if you want to leave at the conclusion of that song, consider yourselves dismissed. Feel free to do so. Come back next week, bring a friend. But if you are leaving, please save your conversations for the hallway and the hub because I want this room to be a room of prayer. I I think God wants to do some transformational work beginning in our lives this morning. So at that point, at the end of that song, the altar will be open. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus before and you're ready to do that. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So I'll be up here, come find me, and we can talk, we can pray. Or maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed an area of your life that needs to be transformed. Maybe the the finger of the Holy Spirit has touched something in your heart that says, we need to deal with this. I I can heal this. I can help you here. And if that's the case, please come forward, find a place to pray. You can pray alone if you need somebody to pray with. Uh, We can do that as well. So I'm asking deacons, former deacons, people who know how to pray for other people, just be on the lookout. Just be be observant of what's happening up here. Listen to the Holy Spirit, because I think think God wants to do some things this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting with us today today. We thank you for your word, which reveals your love and compassion for us. This word is alive and has the ability to speak into our hearts and begin the process of transformation. Fill us with your spirit today as we express to you our desire to become more like Jesus. We ask that as we go about our business this week that you will give us the power and love to be your people in this community. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King and Savior. Amen.